This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Hello, friends, and welcome back to our podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening, and always good to catch up with you, John, and to see you and to have our guests. But how are you doing, John? How are things going for you? Hey, Jalen. Uh, it's been it's been pretty good this week. I feel like we started some conversations at church about uh, looking forward to Holy Week, to Easter, and Good Friday, and and so I'm excited for for this. I think there's always this added challenge of trying to do church-wide events and and maybe rethink the way we have done things or we do things because of COVID, but also rethinking them so that we are reminded of just what Jesus has, has done for us, what he's gone through, his life, death, and resurrection. And so uh, I, I enjoy having those conversations and, and trying to brainstorm different ways to really share that with our church uh, and with our communities. And so um, yeah, that, that's been a good thing. I think another exciting thing is we our church plant is having a baptism service. This uh, I guess service is probably a, a loosely used word, but there will be a baptism on Saturday, and I'm excited for that. We're going to do it in the in the courtyard and in like a I don't know, it's like a big metal tub sort of thing they just got somewhere. But yeah, I'm excited for it. Baptisms are always an exciting exciting thing in the life of the church. What about you? How are things going? Yeah, things are going well. Definitely, I echo your your excitement and enthusiasm for Holy Week, for Easter, you know, during the Lenten season. I think I get really excited about what we get to celebrate and how we get to celebrate it with our church family. Uh, obviously, for, you know, many of us in ministry, it's it gets super busy, but it's it's worth it, right, for us to reflect on and think on the, the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. So I'm excited about that as well. For me, I am really excited about the Chicago Bulls. So it, those who know us, John, uh, we're huge Chicago Bulls fans. And before COVID, every year you would graciously take me with you to go watch a Bulls game. That's right. And we would go and you know enjoy just the whole experience. We'd get there early and try and get whatever they were handing out and just soak up the atmosphere. And even in many losing seasons that we've been attending, you know, recently, uh, we've been faithfully going and I've been faithfully watching, you know, on TV most of the time. But now the Bulls are, as of recording, they are the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and their best player is an all-star. Uh, and so I'm super happy for Zach Levine. I'm super happy for our Chicago Bulls. And so it's just a good, it's like a bright spot in this dark time, right? <laughs> <laughs> like with all this snow with COVID, uh, just it's just a nice thing to have the Bulls winning. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, you know, it's been a little while since we've had hope for Chicago Bulls basketball. So That's right. yeah, I'm I'm also pretty excited. I've been able to watch some of the games while I'm out here. Nice. But yeah. 
So as excited as you are about the Bulls, we are both also equally excited for our guest today. And so we want to welcome to the podcast, Keone Pang. Keone is the English pastor at Los Angeles Chinese Alliance Church, and he's been the English pastor there for several years now. Uh, we're going to let him share a little bit of his story. But Keone, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're really glad that you're here and excited, more excited that you're on the podcast with us, even than we are uh, about the Chicago Bulls. So welcome. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. It's it's good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, would you share with us a little bit about your ministry journey, share a little bit about your testimony and, and how you came to faith and, and how God has led you into uh, ministry work? Yeah, sure. Um, I was born and raised in Hawaii. Uh, it's a non-believing home. I grew up fishing, hiking, hunting, and doing martial arts. That was like 17 years of life, uh, which a lot of that led me to be very self-reliant. I mean, I think that was that's what martial arts teaches you. Um, in terms of fishing, we would go put out nets on, let's say, Friday nights and Saturday nights. And so by eighth grade, I was putting the nets out on my own. So that was kind of my life. Um, and then started dating a Christian girl um, my senior year of high school. And then at some point, she says to me, God has told me that uh, we have to break up. And she said no to a relationship. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, that's fine. You can, you can believe that. Um, but during the midst of that, you know, that was the end of my senior year. So that was that's before college. Um, but her mom had shared the gospel with me during that summer. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, I went to a Lutheran school, so I kind of know about the Bible a little bit. Throughout summer, she, her mom was praying for me, and I didn't know about that. Um, but one day during summer, I was going fishing, and we hadn't broken up yet. I was going fishing. And I caught a bunch of stingrays and, you know, there's like six or seven of them. And usually the usual methodology is to get a knife and cut the tails off so that you don't get, don't get spiked. And so the last one, I was in a rush. I was going to see her, my girlfriend. I went and cut, instead of cutting against the boat, I'm going to cut it up into the air because I figured, oh, it's going to fly out over the side of the boat into the water. And I cut it and I started flying up into the air. I, went, I was kneeling in the boat. I was like, oh no, it's going to be bad. And it comes back down and I'm not straight in my leg. So I now have a four-inch spike sticking in my, sticking in my leg. It's about an inch deep. And I was like, can I cut it out? Or can I pull it out? No. Can I cut it out? Probably good enough. not a good idea. So, okay, let's drive home. I was by myself, right? So it took about 10 minutes to get home. Dad rushed me to the hospital, uh, got to the ER. They cut it out. So a nice half-inch by one-inch deep hole in my leg. You know, about two weeks in, it's not healing. Uh, you still have a nice hole. Don't see anything growing in there. And in the midst of that, it was martial arts training and all, right? Oh, you should be able to heal yourself, right? You're a martial artist. Just prayed. I remember taking a shower and I was saying, I prayed. I said, God, if you're real, I'd appreciate it if you heal me. And it's like immediately after I prayed that, it's like someone turned on a spigot in my leg and this water started pouring out of that wound. And a voice in my head said, 10 days. I said, 10 days? Okay. So every night, nine, eight, seven, six. End of the 10 days, all the flesh had grown back and had the first layer of skin. I don't know if it was 10 days, but in my mind, it was 10 days from that time. And so that was one of the many things that God used to prove that he was real during that summer. I had some other fun ones, but that was the main, was the main one. At the, toward the end of summer, um, I woke up one day and said, oh, I can accept Christ today. And so I was smiling that whole day. I went to see my godmother and she prayed for me, prayed the sinner's prayer. And then um, off I went to college. While I was in college, I was trying to find a church, didn't find one near the church that I liked or near the school that I was at. And basically said, okay, I'm just going to read my Bible. And that's all I did for the next three or four years. 
And in the midst of that, God was showing me, okay, this is this is what sin is, and this is how you can be, how you can you know, break the bonds of sin, you know, Romans six. But I didn't know that until a little later on. So that was my initial journey. Um, started going to finally went to church. The the people who I met in my freshman year that were supposed to bring me to church didn't. I met them again my junior year, and they brought me to this church, Chinese Baptist Church in Seattle. Started leading the the, the college group. Um, actually, I was involved in a college group, and then they started a, a career group, and so I started attending that, and somehow I got put into leadership, even though I was a, by all standards, I was a baby Christian, and towards the end of the ministry, towards the end of the time there, uh, one of my friends said, hey, I think God's calling you into seminary, to go to seminary, and I was like, there's no possible way I'm going to go to seminary, and argued with God for that full year, um, around, I started in, I started in May, because that's when I stepped off of leadership, and, you know, around December, it was, you need to go and put in for these, you need to get information back from people. In March, one of my friends got a new one of my friends to try to go to seminary. And so he said, hey, I, I'm thinking about going to seminary too. Let's go to these different places. So he dragged me off to go up to Regent College up in Vancouver. He dragged down to Portland to see Multnomah College, a biblical seminary. And when I went to Multnomah, I sat in three classes and every single class was like, oh, Romans 6, this is how you fight sin. This is why the sins, the bonds of sin are broken. Oh, oh every single class, they're like, oh, this is what God has been teaching me for the last six years, five years. Um, so yeah, so that was the call to, you know, that was kind of the call to, to seminary. And what really, I was still fighting with him, what would really maybe decide to go as God said, oh, look, you know, I'll bless you whether you go to work or you go to seminary. I'll bless you either way. But I'll bless you more if you go to seminary. And I was like, okay. Yeah. By that point in my life, I was always, my pattern has been I fight with God um, to make it get clear in what he wants and whatever he makes clear, then I'll go do. But that was why that's a year long fight. So that happened in March ish. By May, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to seminary. By June, I'll go to seminary if I even have to pay for it because I was trying to use that as an excuse not to go. And then in August, my friend helped me move down to, semin- uh, to Portland to go to seminary. I was just fine to be there for one year. And then one of my profs asked me, if you leave now, will you be able to complete the work that God has set out before you? What do you think God has called you to? And I was like, no, I'll have to come back in five to 10 years. So let me go and get my MDiv. So yeah, after I got my MDiv, applied. Well, I was trying to figure out where to go to, uh, what church to go to. And I, I decided to go back to my home church. So I was there for almost seven years. Uh, in the midst of that, I was the youth pastor, and then I moved up into the uh, young adult pastor, which turned out in a Chinese church means that you are auditioning to be the English pastor, which I didn't know about until I was halfway through or two-thirds of the way through that contract, the two-year contract, and going, oh, okay, so they hired me to be the English or the young adult pastor, but it was an audition, interview for the English pastor, but there was a other English pastor who was there. Who had just retired, quote, retired um, when I started my, I moved into the young adult and he started a whole young adult group and everything else. And then he had stepped off, he quote, retired from staff, but he was still there influencing the church. And so the two years that I was there was totally, I won't say I was shot in the back, but it was sort of the, it was sort of this like, oh, this is a really bad situation where you're, there's a leadership problem. But in that two years, God showed me that I was not a good fit for that church. And just the way I do ministry and the the generational differences, because you have an older English and a younger English, 
And I experimented. I did a sermon that was based for the older ones and they loved it. And the younger ones, 20s at the time, 20s and 30s, they didn't like it. Then the next week, I, next time I had this week, I flipped it. I said, okay, I'm going to make it for the younger people. And the older ones didn't like it and the younger ones liked it. And so I was like, okay, uh, there's definitely this generational gap going on. You know, there's a total different culture going in, in there. And that was, um, I won't say it was hard, but it was very eye-opening because in a church, you know, in a church, you go, oh, we're all believers. It should just work, right? Whatever God says, it should work. And then you come in and you go, oh, there's this battle between younger English-speaking and, old, and older English-speaking. It's not even the Chinese-speaking yet. That's just dynamics of generations. So yeah, so I was there for seven years. That, that last two-year contract with, to be the young adult pastor didn't work out. Uh, God allowed me to teach high school for a year. Went to a Christian high school, taught math, um, Bible, chemistry. Yeah, that was, it was good. It got me an opportunity to see if I enjoyed teaching, which I found out that teaching is fine, but teaching unmotivated people is hard. So that was, um, that was hard. And then the senior pastor was at Chinese, uh, Seattle Chinese Baptist Church. He moved back down to LA and he asked me to come join him. So then I, I came and visited. It's like, oh, there's, I felt God saying, hey, there's, there's sheep without a shepherd. So I came down and I started here in end of uh, 2012. It's been years ever since. We, have, we learned some things along the way there too, but yeah, that was a, it was a journey for that too, because we moved down here with kids for five and three or something like that. You think you know Asian American culture and people, and then you get down here like, oh, there's a total different breed of people here. That takes you a while to figure that out. Yeah. Was there something uh, specifically where like God led you to serve in the Chinese church um, or did, was it more you ended up there because that was the church that you knew that was your experience? I figured when I got out of the seminary, there was two, I need, I figured I, there's two profiles of churches I needed. One was either someone who's going to be very gracious with me as I learned or someone who was willing to take on someone who wasn't born and raised in the church, who didn't know what quote church looked like and be patient with me as I learned that. And they, they, they're kind of the same, but not quite. Right. And so Part of that story is part of, I met my wife in seminary, but she had graduated and I had just come in. And so through a series of events and mission trips and some other things, God said, hey, this is who you're supposed to marry. She was going to go, she felt like she was going to go to Seattle. And so when we crossed paths, right? oh, hey, we're supposed to go back to Seattle together. So that kind of influenced it too. So it was sort of a home church is a safe place. Let's put in for there. We were going to move to Seattle anyway, because a friend group was there. So that it ended up being more of a, it was a safe place to go to start. Yeah. And, and you know, as you're sharing, certainly the, the Chinese church has had an impact and an influence on you. Why has it been valuable or important for you to, to stay in a Chinese church, um, to be, you know, serving in the English congregation of a Chinese church? I think part of it is the comfort level, because I'm actually third, fourth generation. So I'm in, from Hawaii. So you're it's kind of a weird mix. It's, you carry some of the old traditions with you, but in the way you operate, we think is more Western. I think for me, I find that I am a good bridge between the two, between English and Chinese speaking, because I know enough about what the Chinese are trying to say and try to hint at, and then come in from the, a Western way of going, okay, I got what you're saying. Now let me respond to you in a Western way of thinking to get the answers I need for what you may or may not want us always say. 
And so that dynamic has always been like, oh, okay, I understand this. I can, I can make this work. And I think when I've tried looking at, because I had, you know, I had a break between churches, when we, when we did go to more of a Western speaking church, I think it became very apparent that each church has its own cultural way of doing things. Like there's Japanese churches in Seattle that we visited like, oh, maybe we could be here because they're more Asian American. And the way, the more you sit there, you go, oh, but the cultural way of doing, the, the congregation's way of doing things is very different than what I was brought up in. Hmm. And so like, oh, okay, well, I don't think we're going to fit here. And so we would, you know, because we, we, we didn't have a chance to visit churches, right? Because we're pastor, you don't get to visit churches. But the, during that year off, we visited five, six, seven, eight churches. And you're like, oh, okay, now I'm going to get a sense of what someone who's coming to church might be looking at. And so, yeah, so that some of, so some of those things kind of brought me back saying, okay, I, I'm comfortable here. I know that I know how sy- the system works. And the English speaking needs someone that can speak, you know, code speak for the Chinese side, like, hey, this is what they're trying to say, guys. You can say no, it's all right. They may be upset, but it's okay. Just say no to give them that permission because a lot of times I don't think they have that. So in your time in ministry, which has spanned, you know, two, I guess, two longer since different churches over 15 plus years, what are some ways that you feel like that you've grown as a pastor during that time? Like, has there been things where God has revealed Hey, I, I want you to grow in this area or in this way of thinking, and it and it's shifted or evolved during your two seasons in ministry. Well, one is learning how to preach every Sunday. That was definitely a, a challenge. I think initially it was just not enough life experience, and so as you grow more, you go, oh, okay, now I can learn how to be more emotionally, emotively sensitive. I, I like I'm more of a content person, so I've had to learn how to grow it, connecting, you know, this is where God connects to your life in, in real terms. I know they teach you that in seminary or they bring it up, but, you know, you don't really get that until you start looking at people and they kind of look at you back and go, oh, okay, they're not connecting these two together. I think the other one is I, I think I, in terms of how an English ministry can survive, not just survive, but really thrive in a Chinese church, I think that's been an ongoing process. I noticed that the first church I served at if you were to make a, like a three-dimensional grid and on each axis you put a, are you English speaking or Chinese speaking? And then on another axis you say, what generation in country are you? Are you first gen, 1.5, 2, 3, 4? And then you put the American like boomer, builder, buster, Xer, you know, all that. And you put a, if you made that into a matrix and then you ask people certain questions, you would figure out that the people you thought were very much like you were very much more Eastern thinking, or they might think like a generational, whole generational difference on the American scale. And then that changes how you do ministry. Cause it's like, you ask them, Hey, should we, should we plant this service out of the church or should we move, change the time? And the people you would think, Oh yeah, they're going to be all for it. They're like, you know, but, but we won't be able to support the Chinese ministry. If we do that, what? That's a consideration <laughs> or, or, you know, it's like, hey, why don't we do this instead? Well, yeah, we could, but that's going to impact this other this other group. And it's not that you're not trying to be sensitive, but it's like, hey, you guys are barely surviving as an English ministry to thrive. You guys going to need a little more breathing room, a little more like, hey, what do you guys want to see happen? And in the midst of that, you're going, oh, the people you thought would be with you to go and make those changes 
are actually more, for lack of a better way to say it, more ethnic thinkers, more first-gen thinkers. And you're like, oh, we don't have the, the whole word Asian American has this whole big broad spectrum that is not as narrow as I thought it was. That's one thing. And, and then it, that brings up the idea of how does the English ministry then, how can it thrive? And I'm still working through this one. Partially, I think either one, you have to have a English ministry, you know, talk about leading a church. English ministry has to lead, and then you have the Chinese ministry attached. That's the only way English ministry can really survive, you know, thrive, I think, one way. Um, because the whole model that most of us are in, where the Chinese side is dominant, and they kind of direct, you know, and then the English ministry is sort of attached to it, and they can't, they feel very stifled, you know. So one way is English ministry becomes dominant, Chinese side gets a little smaller. Um, the other way that I've been trying to do for the last, since I thought of this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's the English ministry has to learn what it means to be an adult, right? It needs to learn what it means to be a congregation. Because towards the end of my time at my at that first church, because we had an older English and a younger English congregation, the younger English like, hey, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this. And you know, the deacon chair kind of told me at the very end, after we went through this whole process of well, what should we do with the service and all that, this, how come the younger English don't always reciprocate back to the older English? Because we're giving them time, energy, trying to give them staff. Why don't they reciprocate back? And at that point, I was like, oh, we're not, English ministry and young adult-wise has always been trying to fight for, hey, we want this, we want this. But they also don't take on the what it means to be a congregation. Because the English congregation at that church was part of the group that with blood, sweat, and tears built the church, right? Money, time, energy. And now they're looking at a younger generation who's coming and say, hey, we want this, we want this. But they aren't able to say, hey, we have an event coming up. We need 10 people, 15 people to help out. No one shows up, right? Or they don't, they don't bring members to help out. And so that's definitely shaped my ministry a lot since that time. That come, so coming to this new church, one of the first things I told them was that, hey, we need to know what it costs to be a congregation. And the Chinese side is totally supporting us. None of them were working at the time, just out of school. So in terms of who's paying my salary, Chinese. Who's paying for the building, Chinese. And so it's like, this is what it means to be a congregation. When we have events, you know, picnic or whatnot, hey, the English ministry has to pick up serving the food. All right, hey, at 10 of us, we're gonna, we gotta get our tables there. We're gonna order food. We're gonna do it. Be, you know, one of the groups that the church can count on, not just be there to take. And so that's, you know, that's what I'm thinking needs to happen in order to really thrive, and not just survive in an ethnic church. That only works because your senior pastor is willing to let you do that. But yeah, so I don't know. I think I think part of that too is that I think a lot of English ministries we always we always are operating from the. The concept of a father may i can i do this can i do this and this one was only brought to mind maybe five years ago because we were working in the cca with um pastor mang and he was saying what do you guys want to do for the english ministry what do you want to do and i kept saying well what about this what about that and as we talked more and more he's like you know what stop asking me what i think about it just tell me what you want and go and do it hmm. like oh okay <laughs> But it took a long time because he's operating from, you're not a child, you're my equal, tell me your plan. And it's kind of a progression of that, this thought process from a long time ago of English ministry needs to be a congregation. It needs to be an adult 
lack of a better word, right? When you have, start having kids on your own, this is the whole Asian thing, right? Unless you're unless you have kids, you're not an adult. English ministry has to shift that mindset of saying, oh, I'm the kid receiving to, I'm an adult helping to carry this church. And when they make that shift, I think they'll begin to thrive a little more because then they can fight for things a little better instead of saying like, hey, we want to do this in the church building. Are you guys okay with it? We'll take care of everything. And if they say no, well, what's what's the problem? Because of this, okay, hey, we can work on that. You know, they can learn to negotiate a little better instead of just being, oh, no, oh, mom and dad said no, okay, fine. Right. That's so that's something I've been learning. But again, I, it, you know, my senior pastor has been really good about allowing me to do that. So what were some of the ways that you helped your congregation really begin to see them as like a full fledged congregation and not just, you know, the I don't know, like the the side ministry thing or, or whatever the kid, you know, the kids of the of the first generation congregation like what were some of the ways that you really began to speak into that for them it was definitely bringing up the concept do you see how we're operating and then bringing up you know facts and figures like numbers like hey this is how much money is coming in um just to kind of show them that hey there's you know there's cost to these things and then as you begin to show them hey there's costs and we're not we're not being able to support our own costs I think it begins to make it very clear, hey, it's, it's not just about what I want. It's about how am I fitting into this church and how am I supporting and not, and being able to then put, put in boundaries, you know, working, working between cultures, Eastern and Western, you know, sometimes a lot of them were, you know, I won't say forced into positions, but they were, hey, you want to do this? Hey, you know, the, the typical Chinese style of trying to push them into a certain way of doing things. And you say, hey, look, you, you can say no, you know, really? Yeah, you can say no. I can't say no. Go ahead, say no. <laughs> and you know, and I'm trying to give them that opportunity to say no, and then covering for that, and saying, oh, "Hey, I'm I'm the pastor. I, you know, we're not going to do that. You know, it's just we don't have the manpower. Sorry." And learning to work through some of that, and then being being that person to make those bridge, relational bridges to the other side to make sure that it's okay. Again, it, this. This wouldn't work unless I had a, a senior pastor got behind me saying, you know, supporting. And he's already making some of those changes but before I came. Like before I came, he came in August, I came in November. Up until that time, the board meetings were all done in Chinese. So even English speaking who didn't understand Chinese were sitting there not understanding what the board meeting was about. And so he switched it to English, which, you know, okay, caused some of the Chinese speaking not, to not want to serve, right? Because my language is not being used. But he was already a part of that process of saying, hey, English, you need to be ready to, to run, be your own, be your own person, be your own child. So yeah, so that's that was some of those things. You kind of bring it to mind, pointing out the cultural values and, and saying, hey, these are the values and this is the way it's communication and kind of highlighting it because otherwise you can't break out of those cycles. Yeah, could you speak a little bit more to that whole dynamic, the relationship between you and the senior pastor and even with the other congregational pastors? Because as you're saying, I think certainly in order for the English congregation to really thrive and to take on greater responsibility, uh, there has to be buy-in from the senior pastor. There has to be support from the senior pastor and the other congregational pastors. So, you know, for you personally, in your context, what are some healthy ways that you've been able to relate and work alongside your senior pastor and those other congregational pastors? Right now, there's only two of us. So that makes it a lot easier. It's just him and me. 
I think one of them that's really been important for me to establish with my senior pastors, how much room do I have to play? Is there a box that I can't step out of? And for him, he's always been encouraging me to step out of whatever box imaginary or real that I've kind of set in place. And that has been always been very, very helpful. He's more Western thinking actually than a traditional Chinese pastor. That's helped too. But it's that he gives me a lot of freedom. There's so much freedom involved that I probably scared to go do anything and everything. But I've learned to check back in with him and say, hey, what do you think about this? So that's, I think that's just showing the respect and the, the communication so that when you're bringing up ideas, if you really want to do it, then you make it clear. But it's like, well, hey, what do you think about that? You know, is that something we can go do? And sometimes it's asking permission, permission, but also sometimes it's more just informing, hey, we're going to do this because I think this is, you know, you give me the freedom to decide. And so I think you have to nudge that out a little bit, no matter what your context is. I mean, no matter who our senior pastor is, we have to figure out how, how micromanaging are they of us and how much freedom to play do I have? So that was one of them. And I think one of the lessons, my, one of the senior pastors in seminary that you know, I was interning, one thing that he told me that I carry with me always is never surprise your senior pastor. Always let them know what you're going to do because if you do something that does something really bad and he didn't know about it, He's going to leave you out to dry. You know, you're going to suffer all of that consequence on your own. But if he knows about it, he, you know, he'll kind of back you up with who needs to be backed up with. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. Or, hey, well, he'll, he'll say more words in order to make you feel covered. And so I, I really appreciate that. My senior pastor, you know, Pastor Allen, he, he definitely makes that. You know, he's told me, he's like, I want you to step out more. <laughs> I want you to go plant the church. Like, okay, I'm not going to plant the church. <laughs> but, um, he's, he's very much of a pushing me in a good way and not in the, hey, you stepped on, you, you broke these cultural taboos. I'm going to squash you now. You know, he doesn't do that. And so I think that's definitely been helpful. Because if it was, if I had to work in a Chinese church or a church that was that way, regardless if it was Chinese or not, I wouldn't be able to do it. At least the, my personality type. I need to know kind of how far I can go and I need to have freedom to think through what I'm going to do and then to go execute that. Yeah, communication is a big one and knowing, at least being able to get heart to heart. I don't, my senior pastor is so private. I know some people are like, oh, we wish we had a real open relationship with our senior pastor. And yeah, I don't know everything about him, but I'm willing, I can talk to him about what I'm going through and he's okay with it. He doesn't shy away from that. And so that openness helps you if I don't know everything about him and that's fine. It sounds like he really... Uh, has empowered you, like just using the relationship that he has with you, empowered you to to serve in your context and in in your you know in your ministry, your congregation, um, and that that's just such a and that's a, a key thing because, like you said, not every pastoral relationship is like that, and really you see the 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 good things that can come from from a relationship like that. I'm curious to know, Keone, like as you look at at your church or the Chinese church as a whole, especially the English ministries in the Chinese church, what, what are some of the things that give you hope in this season or um, in this, uh, I guess in this season of ministry or um, what lays ahead for you guys? I think it's recognizing that the Chinese church, not from, may not the English side of it, but the Chinese church serves a, serves a people group that needs to be reached. I, I know at the beginning part of ministry, you're always trying to say, hey, what about the English speaking? What about the English speaking? And not that you shouldn't ask that question, but most ethnic Chinese churches, their goal is to reach ethnic Chinese and to allow them to go and reach, do that effective, as effectively as they can. And so when I watch our church, they, you know, they're actually pretty good about it. 
having outreaches and when people come in, they're very good about very proactive about getting their contact information, trying to get them in small groups. So I think that's been, you know, that's definitely a need. And it seems like Chinese, you know, there's still Chinese immigrants coming over. So the Chinese church never quite matures as like the Japanese church has, or something like the, the Hmong churches. So in that sense, the Chinese church definitely needs to keep rethinking ministry and, and being young towards immigrants because they're still coming over. Um, in terms of the English ministry, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, definitely a more of a mixed bag there in terms of what we have to look forward to. I think a lot of times the English ministry, someone put it, someone put, so said all ministry is a ministry of loss, right? Ministry of relationships, maybe ministry of use contact or people move away. And I think unfortunately for the English ministry, if they are not big enough or not have a large enough core group of people, there, there's a tendency to start, start losing people over time. At the same time, I can see other uh, Chinese churches who have actually shifted to be more English speaking. I, I don't know how, John, your church is, but it seems like there's a big English ministry there. And I don't know how big your Chinese side is. But I think if they're able to shift to say, the English ministry needs to shift this mindset to say, hey, I'm instead of me always being stuck under Chinese thinking or Chinese way of doing things, to become large enough to do what its own, what they, what they need to do on their own, not to the exclusion of the Chinese, but more as a adult. And it's the best way I can say it. Because otherwise we're always under we always feel like, oh, we want the whole church to do this. And the whole church is not going to do what the English wants because it's Chinese church. But if we get to the point of saying, hey, the Chinese, because the Chinese are going to do whatever they're going to do. They, you know, they, they program things that they use, but they're going to do whatever they're going to do. So English also has to come under, hey, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. And at the same time, take care of their kids because their kids are going to be coming to the English ministry. So that's where I see the hope for the English. If they can make that jump, if people can stay in long enough to make that jump, then it'll be okay. But if, if they get frustrated in the process, then... You know, you're going to continue to see people leaving the English ministries and in, in ethnic churches. Yeah, Keone, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, as we kind of wind down here, one of the things that we always ask our guests is, you know, as they've served and as you've served in the Chinese church, uh, what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to somebody who's currently serving in a Chinese church? I would say de determine your ministry fit. Like as you work in a Chinese church, because there's, there's so many cultural pressures, there's leadership pressures, there's pressure from their parents, you know, you have to know whether you are willing to bear with all that an ethnic ministry brings in terms of their cultural expectations of you. And if you find that you don't or aren't willing to deal with that, get out, because otherwise you're going to make your life very difficult while you're in it, because you're going to try and change the whole system that's not going to shift, not going to change. And you won't be also be able to see the maybe the benefits that the Chinese side has. Because there's they bring a lot of good things in. But if you're always fighting against it and saying, hey, you know what, why don't you do it my way? You miss kind of what sometimes what they bring. Like sometimes it's nice to not have to always be as clear as you want to be. <laughs> the indirect communication. So yeah, so that's kind of the biggest one. Say, hey, determine your fit. And if you don't you find that you're not fitting for your church, it's okay. Leave well. And uh, don't cause a big ruckus because otherwise you blow things up and they not, may not have an English ministry there. Yeah, you know, you know that's, a, that's a good word. And especially, I think, that encouragement to 
uh, to it, it's not like a, a right or wrong thing. Like, oh, this is the right type of ministry, or the wrong type of ministry. It's what is God wiring me for? And if it's not a good fit, then it's going to feel like, yeah, that you're just constantly swimming upstream against maybe what God really wants for you. And so uh, I appreciate you you sharing that, but especially the encouragement, which was to to leave well, if you are going to leave and not try to burn it to the ground on your way out, because like, it's so easy to do that in our, you know, in our own, our sinful nature, it's easy to want to like, okay, well, if I'm, this is not the right fit for me, then I'm going to make this not the right fit for anyone kind of thing. So I appreciate you you saying that. We've enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. And, and uh, I'm, you know, there was a, there was a curious side of me, like way back at the beginning of our conversation to just, you know, Google a picture of a, of a stingray. Cause honestly, I was not entirely sure what you were talking about when you talked about that, that spike, but yeah, we appreciate you coming on the podcast and hanging out with us tonight. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks, Cody. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.